0: From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker.
1: And I'm Jennifer Shett, budget and appropriations reporter.
0: And we have a lot to talk about today, Jen. There's a potential breakthrough here in this months-long debate over a massive tax and spending package known as the Reconciliation Package, the Build Back Better Package, Uh, and President Biden put it all on the line yesterday in a dramatic moment on Capitol Hill, pleading with House Democrats to pass what he promises can get through an evenly divided Senate. It's only about half the size that Democrats originally wanted, but they think they might have a compromise. Where does where do you think things stand right now, Jen?
1: So yesterday was sort of a roller coaster on Capitol Hill for reporters, staff, and I think even lawmakers themselves. The day began uh, around 9 a.m. when President Biden came up and met with House Democrats behind closed doors uh, for our caucus meeting. And during this meeting, it sounded like most Democrats got on board with the framework as President Biden himself kind of went almost section by section through this one point seven five trillion reconciliation package and laid out what they're planning to do for climate climate change, universal pre-kindergarten, housing programs, and dozens of other items. But it also seems like in that meeting, Democratic leaders asked members that now that they had a framework that they wanted to clear, that roughly $550 billion bipartisan infrastructure bill through the House later in the day. And that's really where things started to get a little bit bumpy. Because while it sounds like progressives really support this framework for this reconciliation package, they also do not want to clear this bipartisan infrastructure bill until there is you know, a real commitment um, that the same bill, the same reconciliation bill that passes the House will pass the Senate. And they also want to do that in the House in the same vote series. They don't want to pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill this week and then come back in a couple of weeks and pass the reconciliation package, predominantly because they are worried that there might be even more changes to this package where programs that progressives want are shortened or eliminated entirely.
0: Yeah, it's a complicated dance here uh, where these two big packages are just so intricately linked uh, that one can't move without the other. And that's some of the stalemate that we continue to see. And and House leaders yesterday thought they could push through the infrastructure bill last night. They were going to try to do that. And yet again, they had to pull back because they faced just a buzzsaw of of protests from progressives saying they were going to tank the thing. Uh, because they want, they they need the assurance that the that the uh, reconciliation package is going to pass the Senate too, and 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 they have to do both bills together. That's been their mantra for months now, and so they're intricately linked. and And Biden clearly felt the pressure. I, I was really struck, Jen, how you know he came to the House Democratic Caucus Thursday and put it all on the line and said, "Look, my presidency is at stake here." everything, he said, it's not hyperbole to suggest that our democratic majorities in Congress and my presidency are all gonna hinge on what happens in the next week, I think were his words. He he pleaded with them, he said, I need your help, I need your votes, he needs both of these bills to pass. Really his whole, he knows that his whole domestic legacy is at stake with these two major packages. Everything he's, wanted, he's laid out to do in his first term of office, which could be his only term in office, we don't know, uh, hinge on passage of these two measures, and they're all coming it's, it's coming down to this intricate dance between them and the slim 50/50 Senate. How do you appease every single Democrat there to get what he wants? The stakes couldn't be higher, and they still are in that stalemate. Uh, And they're still going to have some tweaking to do to get these things through.
1: Right. And I think that's really what a lot of us heard from progressive House Democrats Thursday was that they support this reconciliation package, which has really been months in the making and has taken a lot of compromises from more left-leaning lawmakers. And they want to clear that measure through Congress. What progressives are concerned about is that, though, if they lend their votes to clearing that bipartisan infrastructure bill through the House and sending it to President Biden for his signature, that moderates and centrist Democrats might then start trying to change various elements in the reconciliation package. And you have to remember that when this reconciliation package moves past the House and goes to the Senate, it will trigger that marathon votorama amendment voting session in the senate that republicans have been preparing for for months and republicans you know some of those messaging some of those amendments will be messaging amendments some of them will be geared much towards much more towards political fundraising or political messaging or campaign ads and policy making but there's also going to be a very significant number of republican amendments that come up during that votorama in the senate that are geared specifically towards West Virginia senator Joe Manchin or Arizona senator Kirsten Cinema or both of them in terms of changing the policy in this reconciliation package and that's one of the things that we've been hearing from progressives all along they're concerned about they want the same reconciliation package that passes the house to pass the Senate, and they want assurances that not only do Manchin and cinema support this reconciliation package, we saw a broad outline of yesterday and legislative text of yesterday, but they want to know that they won't adopt any Republican amendments to this proposal and change it in a way that could really frustrate progressives and endanger um, its entire, you know, sort of survivability in Congress.
0: Right. But Biden did present this feeling confident that he can get this through a 50-50 Senate. It's worth taking a minute here to describe what's actually in this package and also what's not in it. I think it's important to set the table here a little bit without getting bogged down now in a million, in a million numbers. But a few takeaways for me from this package to, to, to remember here is that this is about only about half the size of the initial $3.5 trillion package that Democrats wanted we're down to $1.75 trillion, considerably smaller, still huge money, but considerably smaller from where they started. And on the spending side, my takeaway is this is no longer primarily uh, about about, uh, kids and childcare and all the stuff we've been hearing because the biggest single spending item now in this package really is about combating climate change. Since they've had to cut so much down, the, mo- the biggest single one is now, is now these climate investments. It's about $555 billion just for climate change. That's a considerable show of force here that Democrats want to give Biden to say we're serious about fighting climate change. Uh, and then you get into childcare subsidies, universal pre-kindergarten, big money in those and then it starts getting smaller. And a lot of the stuff didn't make it in that you've heard about I'm sure, but the child tax credit, the Democrats desperately want to make permanent this expanded credit for for parents with children uh is now only extended for a year instead of instead of permanent just because it's so damn expensive to do, they had to cut that way back. And of course, paid leave, the, the paid family and medical leave uh, went by the wayside here uh, in a big disappointment for many Democrats. So that's on the spending side. And my takeaway on the revenue side is Democrats claim this is fully paid for. They say they'll raise $2 trillion in revenue over the decade, more than enough to pay for this. It could even help reduce the deficit if their map holds up. The problem is these are administration estimates that haven't been evaluated by the Congressional Budget Office. We don't know how reliable they are yet. And the biggest single revenue raiser in this package, Jen, relies on increased tax enforcement by the IRS to go after high earners uh, to collect taxes that are owed but that they haven't paid. They say that alone would raise $400 billion dollars but you know, the Congressional Budget Office often doesn't like to count tax enforcement efforts as guaranteed new revenue because it's kind of iffy whether you get that. So some real problems here uh, in whether this package will hold up, particularly as it undergoes what is sure to be some withering Republican attacks. And Republicans were quick to blast this, saying it's actually going to cost a lot more than advertised because. To keep the cost down, Democrats made a lot of these programs uh, expire in a few years. And Republicans say, in the real world, they're all most of them could get extended because it's very hard to take away benefits from people once you give them. And so the actual cost of this could be over $4 trillion, they said, in the House Budget Committee. And so it's going to add to the debt and cause all these problems. So there's the basic fight. Uh, And that's kind of how the package lays out to me, Jen.
1: Yeah, And I think to just pick out one of those issues that you just mentioned, David, on the paid family and medical leave, this is something where Democrats had originally started off in this package hoping to get 12 weeks of paid family and medical leave. And then when it became clear that West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin did not support that, it changed and it sort of altered behind the scenes. And so it became you know, four weeks of just family leave for newborns. And I think that this is something that we're going to see next week continue to be front and center. We've heard a lot from Speaker Nancy Pelosi how she is not particularly happy that paid family and medical leave is not in this framework that we saw. And we've seen a lot of negotiating behind the scenes on the Senate side between New York Democrat Kristen Gillibrand and Manchin. And she is not giving up by any means. She was talking to reporters yesterday during the Senate's afternoon vote series, and she was saying she has another proposal that she's preparing on paid family leave that she is going to be sending to Mansion potentially over the weekend. So I really think one of the biggest stories next week is do more left-leaning Democrats and particularly a lot of female Democrats Uh, are they able to sort of find some sort of proposal that Manchin will support um, and get him on board with that in a way that they could add it to the package? And I think that is one of the issues that, yes, it is not in the framework. It is not in the legislative text we've seen. But it's important to remember that when the House Rules Committee holds a markup on this reconciliation package, they will be putting forward a manager's amendment. And what a manager's amendment does is makes various additions and tweaks and changes like that to the package. Uh, And sometimes that can be, you know, a 10 or 15 page amendment. And sometimes we've seen those amendments, those managers amendments be potentially hundreds of pages. And so that is something where this bill still can change. Yes, we've seen legislative text this week, but even Speaker Pelosi herself said the text is out there, go read it and, you know, essentially tell us what you want to add or subtract and so I think that's going to be the big sort of issue for the next week is, you know, are there any technical areas where something isn't written correctly? But on the paid family and medical leave issue, I think we're going to see a lot of Democrats who want this in really, really speaking a lot with Mansion. And I think that effort is mostly going to continue being led by um, Senator Gillibrand.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of betting on a very lengthy manager's amendment, Jen, because Everybody knows that they, they still have leverage here uh, before they have to go to a vote uh, and so they're going to insist on a lot of last minute changes and I think there's going to be some, still some hard bargaining to come to get every last vote they need to get this uh, over the over the finish line and let's get back then to this dance between this this package and the infrastructure bill because the Democratic moderates are so eager to get that infrastructure bill passed as over $550 billion in new money over the next 5, 10 years uh, for roads, bridges, water systems, the works. Um, And it's stuck in this fight with progressives over the timing of these two bills and the, the doubts about whether the reconciliation bill can pass. You talked to a lot of progressives yesterday, Jen, Where are they exactly? I know they issued a statement endorsing this reconciliation package. They generally seemed happy about that, but they're still hesitant. Do we know what their bottom line is as to when they let this infrastructure bill go?
1: We mostly do. So Congressional Progressive Caucus Chair Primla Jayapal, a Democrat from Washington, it seems like she was saying yesterday that they in the House, they want this reconciliation package and the bipartisan infrastructure package to be voted through on the same day. And that that is what progressive lawmakers want. And that she was saying that President Joe Biden essentially giving progressive Democrats his word yesterday that the same reconciliation package that the House passes will clear the Senate. Essentially saying that they won't be tweaking this in the Senate, that Democrats will stay as a voting block against Republican amendments during the Votorama. And she was saying he is our president, and this is very much sort of a tip of the hat to Biden that we, as the Congressional Progressive Caucus, are going to trust what he says, and that Mansion and Cinema are not only on board with the reconciliation package but won't change it at all, regardless of what amendments Republicans put forward during Votorama. But we were hearing from some other members of the Congressional Progressive Caucus as well that they may not have um, as much trust in Manchin and Cinema, and are not necessarily 100 percent there in terms of taking President Biden's word for it. And so some of them are still holding on to that strategy of after the House passes this reconciliation bill, sending it to the Senate, they do not want to hold a house vote to send the bipartisan infrastructure bill to president biden until the senate clears the reconciliation package and so i think that's another important issue to keep tracking in the coming days and weeks because there are some progressive democrats who really there is no love lost between them and the centrist senators and they really want to make sure that you know when the house finally gets to a sort of firm Legislative text, this is an agreement on the reconciliation package that's not changed at all in the Senate. And so I think that's one of the issues to watch as well. Although I am pretty confident when CPC Chair Jaya Paul comes out and says, This is how we're going to do this, you know, one vote series in the House where we approve the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the reconciliation package. I think that is probably what will happen in the end.
0: And so there's all this hard bargaining still to come, and they've given themselves a bit of time here now. There's no press of a deadline anymore because, because Thursday night they passed a short-term extension for these federal highway and transit programs that were going to expire. Um, and I, I believe those now get extended till December 3rd. That gives them a whole no- another month now uh, to get both of these bills over the finish line. How long might this take? Another month?
1: <laughs> I'm not sure. I actually just pulled up the legislative calendar. And so Congress has three three weeks before the Thanksgiving break, but they're only scheduled to be in town for two of those weeks. And so I think, you know, in terms of negotiating, they're probably going to spend that first week of November really trying to get to firm agreement on the manager's package for the reconciliation bill. And then maybe giving members, you know, they could stay here the week of November 8th and make that a voting week. I'm not entirely sure that will happen. Uh, But then I think really crunch time is going to be the week of November 15th. And I think that is right now, looking at the calendar, the most likely week when the House holds votes on this and we get Senate votorama heading into that Thanksgiving break. Um, And of course, if they cannot keep to that timeline, you know, getting the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the reconciliation package to President Joe Biden ahead of Thanksgiving, they do have one more legislative week after Thanksgiving heading up to that December 3rd deadline. But of course, they have a few things they need to do before December 3rd outside of the infrastructure package and the reconciliation bill, most notably passing some sort of government funding bill, most likely another continuing resolution to keep the government open through December and possibly January and February as well. And then there's also the question of the debt limit, uh, which Congress raised by $480 billion earlier this month. Um, And right now, there's a little bit of uncertainty about how long that $480 billion will last. But it seems like Democrats want to get to some type of debt limit Legislation before they leave town for their December break, which is currently scheduled to begin on Friday, December 12th.
0: It is a busy, busy November, December uh, with a lot on their plate. But we will be covering it all for you. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can always drop us an email. The address is CQPodcast, one word, at CQ Roll call. Dot com. The CQ Budget podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker.
1: And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter.
0: You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week.